0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker and I are here. We are going to break down uh, a little bit of the Suns Clippers game last night. It was DeAndre Ayton's return. And as listeners of this podcast know... I am a massive DeAndre Ayton fan. Cole is somewhere in the middle on DeAndre. thinks he's fine, at least. Uh, and then we want to talk about the Clippers, too, just because we haven't really talked about the Clippers throughout the course of the season so far. And they are one of the three best teams in the league, realistically. So uh, definitely want to touch on them. And then we're going to do like a big kind of prospect news dump kind of thing. There's been a lot of injury news, a lot of just random guys that have moved up and down the board over the course of the last couple of weeks in regard to prospects, like Cole Anthony, LaMelo Ball, RJ Hampton, and then we wanted to get into some sleeper guys that we really like, kind of like Spencer Jones at Stanford, who's probably not a one and done, but someone that's been interesting, Mason Jones, Joel Iye, stuff like that. Uh, Cole, how you doing, man?
1: Doing well. I've actually been able to catch up with a ton of NBA over the last couple weeks just because it's it's like the down season um, with prospects, of course, with finals and then break. And we get into conference play, you know, starting in January. So really been able to watch almost every NBA team over the last you know week and a half or so, which has been awesome.
0: Well, I just wanted to lead into this podcast by noting that the New York Post is reporting that a Missouri church leader tried to pay for sex on Grindr with an Arby's gift card. I can't imagine a better way to go into the podcast than with that knowledge. Shout out to the New York Post for finding this important news. Uh, Is there a gift card that you would be less interested in receiving for sex (laughs) than an Arby's gift card?
1: Oh, man. Now I'm wishing you could segue into one of your ad reads with this. That would have been just legendary status for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we have Manscaped uh, this week, unfortunately, (laughs) so I'm not sure that that's going to work, but – We do have, this week, BetOnline and ExpressVPN. If only he would have used ExpressVPN. It might have (laughs) hidden his identity, and he could have gotten away with it nonetheless. But, uh, Cole, let's talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers last night. The Clippers won the game, what was it, like 120 to 99 might have been the final score. Um, In general, this just wasn't. All that interesting of a game. The Clippers took an early lead. Uh, They blew it out in the middle of the third quarter and, you know, basically controlled it the whole way. But from a news perspective, it was interesting because DeAndre Ayton, after missing 25 games, he returned. And basically was the same DeAndre Ayton that we saw last year, as opposed to the interesting one that we saw flashes from defensively earlier this season.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I thought his first stint on the floor defensively was pretty poor Um, in this game. You know, he missed a couple challenges, wasn't reacting quickly. I thought he got better as the game progressed. I did think he made some nice... You know, rotations, he blocked Kawhi's shot in the post. Like, Kawhi sealed Mikhail deep, and he kind of tried to spin over his right shoulder. DeAndre rotated down, got that. But I largely agree. I, I was mostly looking for what is his energy, execution. What did he show in pick and roll as far as defense awareness, all of that? I, nothing really popped for me in, in dynamic fashion. I think the first game of the season, like you noted, against the Kings, was the best I've seen him play defensively in the NBA. I
0: would agree with that. I mean it... – it seemed like they were trying to figure out how to integrate him along with Aaron Baines in some way. Just because Aaron has been very good. He slowed down a little bit over the course of the last few weeks, we'll call it. But it did seem like the Suns recognized that Baines is an important part of their culture as a team. Like It seems like they've really kind of rebuilt uh, their culture around you know a bit more defensive toughness. And Aaron Baines certainly... I guess the way to put it is he embodies that uh, in so many ways. That, and you don't just want to remove Baines from the equation just because you bring in DeAndre Ayton. Otherwise, you lose a lot of, I think, what has been an incredibly interesting start for them uh, at the beginning of this season.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. We talked about that in the past as far as juggling, that juggling act of trying to blend in Baines with Ayton. And I they played them both on the floor for very few minutes last night. I think it was in the it, third quarter. They they actually yeah. played Aiton, Aiden was playing the five. I mean a lot of talk was Aiden playing the four, but Baines actually guarded Kawhi in that stint.
0: Yeah, I have the they played together for two minutes in the game. Uh they I mean like look, net rating numbers are not useful <laughs> in a two minute sample. It did not go well for the Suns, no. we will just say that. Like Baines got put in the blunder. Uh it's gonna be hard for them to play those two guys together, I think. Uh, it's funny that they chose to play Baines at the four and Aiton at the five, given that Sean Miller played Aiton at the four and Deshaun exactly. Ristich at the five uh, throughout the course of that season. But I don't really know what to do with that whole thing, basically. Like, I, I, don't, really, I don't really know if there's an answer for how Monty Williams should handle playing both DeAndre and Aaron as far as, like, I don't think you can play them together.
1: I think that's going to be the case for a lot of teams, and especially against a team like the Clippers, who plays more of a combo scoring you know, wing at the four. Like That's just not tenable. You're not playing Baines or Ayton on Kawhi. I think maybe some of the lineups in the league that run two traditional bigs, you can experiment with that with Baines spacing. He was over four from three last night, so he wasn't able to effectively space the floor. I don't love it, and I think what you have to look at it more as is they're getting quality center minutes now – across the board. Like, when Ayton's out, Bain should have all of those minutes at the five. Not Kaminsky, who, you know, there's an offense-defense massive trade-off there as far as Frank defensively they the Suns really need that interior rim protection they just need a bigger body getting on the defensive glass so I think you start there like Aiton and Baines command all the minutes at the five maybe in certain matchups you can get away with playing them both together but largely they're both fives like I think that's kind of why I was <laughs> taking a pseudo shot at Arizona basketball Twitter about you know Aiton played the Ford college so why can't he play the Ford in the NBA he, he's a Aiton's definitely a five in the NBA I don't think there's any argument to that
0: yeah we're going to do a trade podcast later in the week. I do wonder if this kind of opens up Aaron Baines onto the market a little bit. Uh, this would certainly be a great scenario to sell high on him after after the start of the season, right? Uh, the Suns could legit get real, you know, value for him, I guess. But the thing is, too, they're starting to fall away a little bit from the playoff picture. You know, they're 11-16 and 16 now. But... The bottom of the West, for as much credit as we gave it in the preseason, there are currently two teams in the playoffs right now with a losing record. The Oklahoma City Thunder is 12-14, Sacramento Kings are 12-15. and 15. So the Suns are only a game out of the playoff mix, and I would imagine that This is an organization that would like to get Devin Booker some playoff minutes and DeAndre some playoff minutes, too, just to get them in a very competitive environment. So I wonder if they would look to maybe sell off Aaron to try and get a stronger future asset if the move here is to, you know, it's going to be a tough balancing act for them, I think, at the deadline.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to save most of this for the trade podcast just because I think when you start going through all the scenarios with these players, the Suns are heavily featured as far as potential buyers at the deadline. So there's going to be a lot to talk about there. What did you think about Aiton offensively last night?
0: Wasn't as efficient as I wanted. I think in general, like, he just looked a step slow, right? Like, he looked like a guy coming back after missing 25 games. And I think we saw that just in terms of his touch, just like little stuff, wasn't really falling. He also took just a few too many mid-range jumpers for me. Like, that's just not what I want.
1: Yeah, I that's right. I mean, he did put the ball on the floor a couple times, but when Aiton dribbles to attack, he's more dribbling to get and do like a dribble spin move and then use his hook shot. It's not like he is yeah. face-up attacking and, like, extending. But I, I would like to see him. I mean, the big thing with him is he just doesn't draw fouls he never has like he's he's very efficient i mean his touch is going to be better than that last night he's not you know he was night of 19 for 18 points for 18 you don't want 18 points on 19 shots that's just not going to get it done for the kind of player he is and i don't think he he's much more efficient than that usually and more more jump hooks in the, in the lane getting deeper position he wasn't really used as like a dynamic role man last night. I think there's more diversity there, of course, but I do think I would like to see him either get to the foul line or start taking threes. And that was the big point of emphasis for a lot of Suns fans last night. He had that one play on a pick and pop where he took like a huge step back and people were like, Oh, is he gonna shoot? And then he kind of deferred out. So I, I don't know, like you see him shooting in shoot arounds. He has the touch, but is he actually going to shoot NBA three soon?
0: So yeah, the shot distribution with Ayton does seem a little bit funky um you know he's taken in the two games he's played this year he's taken seven shots from 16 to 23 feet which is not ideal for what you're looking for from him uh he's also taking fewer uh, a lesser percentage of his shots at the basket which is absolutely not what you want from him DeAndre is a force, he is the kind of guy that can dominate at the rim, uh, he's taking a lot more shots in the non-paint or the in the paint non-restricted area, like you look at his two games so far, he's already taken nine of those shots, so you mix it with the fact that he's taken seven mid-range shots, you're talking about 16 of his 33 shots uh, not being around the basket, and that's just not that's not where you want DeAndre, like that's just not a valuable use of his skills I think
1: yeah, he's an interior scorer. You want to get him deep touches to where he can utilize his touch especially or just get him straight dunks on, on dives. I do think that's where he's most effective. Like I, I do like the fact that he's worked on this turnaround jumper over his right shoulder. I am worried that he goes to that well too often, and that's kind of how he's wired is to not draw fouls. Like He mostly tries to get to shots. He doesn't dribble and like face-up attack, so he's not going to get fouls that way. But I think... Last night was a nice microcosm outside of missing the play finishing stuff as far as as a diver. It was just what we've seen from DeAndre for most of his career thus far. I mean, he's not as physical as he could be at times as far as dropping his shoulder. I I I think he had one nice back down on the baseline. I can't remember who he backed down last night, but he had a a pretty nice over-the-top finish there um, using some force. I would like to see that more consistently. What I will say is you can usually gauge DeAndre's – a nice barometer for his, not only his effort, but his effectiveness is his offensive rebounding. He had seven last night. That's when you know he's really revving. Like I have mentioned the Nets game last year as, as – Probably one of the best games I've ever seen him play. When he really tries, and, and I'm not saying he doesn't try usually, but he, there's a difference in him going 90% and 100%. When he's going 100%, like nobody yep. really on the floor is going to be able to do a lot of the stuff he can do on the offensive glass. He's too big. When he gets that swim move going, he had one of those last night. Just really, really effective there.
0: Yeah, totally agree with you on that, especially about the effort level. I think the big thing with DeAndre is that when he is engaged like that, he is... I mean, like, he's not unstoppable just because he doesn't have the ability to really handle the ball yet in a manner where he is attacking toward the basket. Um, That is strange, and, you know, I think that it's something he's really going to have to develop. But nonetheless, it is something that uh, is going to be the difference between him being the uh, best center in the NBA, which, like, physical tools-wise... I mean, he has the physical tools to be that Uh, it's just going to depend on skill set on jump shot on uh, developing that motor to just be locked
1: in at all times. I do really want to see him shoot more threes, though. I think that's somewhat low-hanging fruit. Like, mechanically, like, his shot is kind of flat at times, but he definitely has the touch. I think that's the easy move. Like, I'm a little bit more skeptical. I always have it on his handle, his kind of coordination in those settings, because he is a dependent player right now. He's a guy who he needs to get the ball in certain spots, and most bigs, just by definition, are dependent players. They're dependent on offensive players, initiators, getting them the ball in their spots. And I think DeAndre's lack of handle, like he's not going to dribble up the court like Jokic and then go into a post-up. You know what I mean? Like that's just not his game. So I want to see him shoot threes. I think that's the next step for him.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I do think that that's going to be an off-season project, though. I don't think that is something that he's going to be able to do now. Like I I know that you got real excited on Twitter last night when you saw him take that (laughs) uh, big step back behind the line and you thought he was going to pull. I am uh, a little bit less uh, enthused about him shooting threes right now, mostly because of his inefficiency from the mid-range. Like, he is, I think, like a 40% shooter from the mid-range right now. Or like thirty eight
1: or something. Here's the thing though, like, isn't that been the storyline the last couple off seasons? At least last off season he was shooting corner threes. We see him do it in practice, that's all the hype. Like, when is he gonna shoot if it's not now? You know what I mean? Like I at least take some threes. That's kind of where I'm at, is like you don't have to take volume threes. I don't think he's ready for that. But I do think if he's not being enabled to shoot, like there's a chance that he's passing up shots. Kind of like the Wendell Carter situation where they're just not aggressive from the three point line. I think he should be enabled to shoot right now. and, and just see what you have.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I, I would like to see where he is, but I also would imagine that they have some sort of data from practices just because, like, I know sure. that they keep track of that stuff, right? Like, you keep track of how a guy is shooting from three in practice, and if they don't think he's ready to shoot from three, it probably – the lack of threes probably says something, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There could be more to the story here, of course. But I just the think, Bulls, again...
0: I don't know. Like, with the Bulls and Wendell Carter – that could be a Jim Boylan deal where it's just this guy doesn't know what he's doing and is, you know, not help not allowing you to shoot from three. Having said that, uh, with Ayton, I would like with Ayton, like Phoenix keeps track of that, I know. So yeah.
1: Yeah, that's always the tough part with this is what exactly is the reason for something not occurring. Maybe he's not ready, maybe he is. I have no idea. I just I think pretty confidently what we can agree on is that he's gonna have to probably do this. And I and I think getting a jump start on that would be productive.
0: Totally agree. Um, The Clippers, did anything, like, really stand out with the Clippers last night? Like, (laughs) I mean, like, Kawhi's just really good was my standout thought.
1: (laughs) Like, it's just crazy. Yeah, it was kind of funny how I thought Oubre actually won a lot of his matchup with Paul George, and that's kind of like a one-game thing, but Oubre had a pretty nice stint. I think late in the first, early in the second, not like any grand takeaway there. I just thought it was kind of curious to me how the Suns opened the game defensively, putting McHale on Kawhi and then Oubre on Paul George, just because like McHale isn't as strong. Like I would think that you want Oubre's strength against Kawhi in those post-isos. Maybe it was just to avoid, you know, foul trouble for Oubre long-term. I thought that was just an interesting lineup wrinkle. But yeah, the, the Clippers are one of the best three teams in the league. They're just really fucking good.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Uh... Just in general, how much of the Clippers have you watched? Uh, like since they've gotten both Paul George and Kawhi in the lineup?
1: I want to say maybe like three or four games total. Not a yeah. ton.
0: Yeah, like every time I've watched them, I have only watched, like, you know, maybe three or four games. But every time I watch them, I just sit and think, This team is going to be impossible to deal with in the playoffs. Because Paul George is just such a monster at dealing with other teams defensively like he takes such a burden off of Kawhi Leonard and and like I think the sneaky thing last year was that Kawhi was just fine defensively in Toronto even in the playoffs like he was okay he wasn't some you know unbelievable stopper that we've seen um but between like Patrick Beverly just annoying the shit out of people at the point of attack Paul George uh being able to disrupt everything with his length and quickness, Kawhi being able to just overpower people. It's just going to be so hard to deal with them, like in every regard.
1: I'm really excited for the Christmas Day matchup against the Lakers. I think that is one of the most excited I've been for a matchup in a while. Of course, they played opening night, but no Paul George. Um, I think that it's going to be really fascinating. Hopefully, Anthony Davis is healthy by then. I I don't really know exactly what his status is right now, but that's going to be – Really awesome to see because, again, I think there's a big difference. I think people are starting to do this better as far as analyzing basketball teams based on playoff potential versus regular season. I don't really care what the Clippers' record is. I mean, it's good 21 and 8, really good record, 14 and 1 at home. But as a playoff team, they are a monster. To deal with. I mean, I, I think the most fascinating thing for me, maybe we talk about this on the trade podcast a little bit, is there's been just some discussion about Montrose Harrell selling high on him because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Lou Williams potentially. I think I've seen that floated around. I, I think it's really fascinating just because I don't. I don't think I'd do that. I think that they are in the position where they're going to need those guys. Maybe like Lou Williams is a liability against LeBron, but where he gets you as far as most matchups, he just helps you so much off the bench, firepower wise. Like that pick and roll between those two guys. I just don't know how you guard this team when they put their best offensive lineups. A lot of people talk about the defense because of the perimeter um, switchability and whatnot. But I think offensively, they can put lineups out there that are just a total son of a bitch.
0: Totally agree with that. They also have, like, enough pieces to move that I think will be interesting to other teams. Like, I think Jerome Robinson is an interesting sweetener for other teams. Uh, du Cavangeli will have value. I think Terrence Mann will probably have some value around the league. Um and realistically, if you're the Clippers and you're looking at, you know, maybe selling high on Trez, you're just trying to upgrade his spot, right? So how are you going to upgrade his spot when he's on a one-year deal? Like, realistically, you're, like, I understand you're selling high, theoretically, just because he's really good. But, like, you're also kind of selling low for this year because, you know,
1: he is a rental, yeah, and that's where I'm at too. Is how do you replace him? Because it's not something where you want necessarily a first round pick back. I mean, that would be good. I mean, in a vacuum, but for them, they're trying to win a title. I think you're going to need him. Like his value, even an expiring, even if he walks after the season, like I'd want him this year. It's about winning a title, and I, I don't think you're going to get enough value back that can help you right now because. Trez is awesome in his role. Like there's very few guys that can do what he can do. I mean, he's a great cost effective contract, of course, but I just think as a role man, the, the pressure that he puts on the rim yep. for the Clippers and some of these lineups, I don't know if you can really replicate that as far as getting a player back of that kind of value. Yeah, I
0: totally agree. And I think that like Zubats is going to be fine for them uh, in the playoffs. Like he'll be able to play 20 minutes a night, which is realistically all you need from a center like that. Like, Because Paul George and Kawhi are so big, I kind of would not be surprised if we see like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, four or five lineups in the playoffs. Like you can play Harkless, Leonard, Kawhi across the front line and then like throw out Patrick Beverly and Shamit or Lou Williams and Harrell with those three if you do want to play a five. The reason that this Clippers team is so dangerous is because of the lineup versatility they already have. And the fact that Zubats has been, like, pretty good throughout the course of the year, at least in the 20 minutes that he plays, like, he's not going to be more than that. And I think he understands that. And I think the team understands that. It's fine. Like, I think it's just totally fine.
1: Yeah, totally agree. I think Zubots serves his role. I mean, he's the behemoth center on this team. So against certain matchups, you're gonna want a bigger center. Maybe against your Nikola Jokic's, like some of those guys. Like if they somehow faced, you know, the, the Sixers in the finals, that's a nice guy to have for Embiid because Harrell's not gonna be able to. Hand- Handle Embiid. Yep. He's just not big enough. So like everybody on this team, I think serves some kind of purpose, and that's why I think this team is really well built. Is they're very multiple in their lineups. They're versatile. They can kind of acclimate to what the other team is putting on best. Like there's, again, if the Clippers play the Lakers, which I suspect will happen at some point, Lou Williams is not going to have as much value on the floor against LeBron because LeBron's going to hunt him every single time down the floor. That's what he's done. He's better at that than anybody that I've ever seen play basketball. So they can adjust, and that's what makes this team so dangerous.
0: Right, and say that you don't want to be hunted at all, you throw out a lineup of Beverly George, Leonard Harkless, Magruder, and, you know, what, whoever, or I guess that would be five, but like, you can throw out, you know, Rodney Magruder playing 21 minutes last night, and, you know, grabbing 11 defensive rebounds, and getting three steals, like, that's what Rodney Magruder does, and he's really good, and the fact that he can kind of shoot a little bit is, he's, like, an incredibly effective player. The fact that they stole him last year from Miami because Miami got into that roster crunch scenario, that's going to be one of the most underrated moves come playoff time because he is very valuable. Um, You can even throw out, like, Magruder, Leonard, George, Harkless, and, like, Shamit if you want to just play super like small and svelte like on the court it's just ridiculous like they have so many different they have so many different iterations that can kill you
1: Exactly. And I think that's gonna be so fascinating against the Lakers size, for example, like do the Lakers play Anthony Davis on Kawhi. You know what I mean? And just kind of try to take away Kawhi's strength advantage like yeah. on ISOs for like there's a lot of different matchup dynamics between those two teams. No team is gonna be exactly perfect as far as their roster construction. It's very hard to assemble a perfect roster outside of you know the Warriors recently, which never happens. But I, I think the Clippers are a very, very versatile roster construction that holds up in the playoffs. When you have two of the best shot making wings to way guys in the modern era of basketball, like that just enables so much flexibility for you in the playoffs.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Um, let's move on and talk about prospects. But before we do that, I have just, just a quick little advertisement, man, we are big fans of express VPN here. I am, uh, personally someone who feels very strongly about using VPNs in order to, uh, just shield your identity. And, you know, I live in Los Angeles and I like watching, you know, UK Netflix sometimes or things like that. And it used to be a pain just because, you know, they don't always, you know, American Netflix doesn't have some of the things that UK Netflix has. Right. So uh, express VPN, you can just log in, you can click, you know, I want to be in the UK right now. And here's how it works. Like it, you just, Go on ahead and you click that little button on ExpressVPN. I use it with my iPad all the time. It logs you in and, you know, the Docklands, the United Kingdom. And it works on your phone, your router, your computer, uh, iPads, whatever you want to use it on. It is a really exceptional tool. Uh, Today, I can get you three months at ExpressVPN for free by going to expressvpn.com.com. Theory that's C H E O R Y, after which you can sign up uh, for whatever streaming service you want to use at a huge discount. That's ExpressVPN. dot com slash theory T H E O R Y for three months free with a one year package. So go to ExpressVPN. dot com slash theory to learn more. And we're also sponsored today by Bet Online, uh, as folks. Tend to know about me. I am indeed someone that likes to gamble on well, just about any sort of basketball or any sort of uh, football. And I lost some money on Stanford last night. I took the USF Dons. Uh, you know Tyrell Terry. I saw right before the game was out. Placed a small little wager, and I ended up losing after USF decided to piss away a cover. What a disaster. Uh... It has every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bets, parlays, or teasers. Uh, go to betonline.ag. You can even bet on Wild Prop Bets, who will make the college football playoff, who will be the NFL MVP. Get the fastest two market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to BetOnline today on your mobile device to join and use promo code clns 50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sports book experts. Uh, Let's talk about some draft guys now. Cole Anthony, I think, is the biggest one that is recent, but we're also just going to talk about some guys that ended up uh, being out over the course of the last couple weeks that we haven't really discussed. So Cole Anthony has a torn meniscus, uh, and he is having surgery. Uh, or he had surgery on his knee. He's going to miss four to six weeks. I mean, there's already been discussion as to whether or not Cole Anthony is going to return. Um, My bet is that he probably does come back, but we'll see. I, I don't. That comes from no inside information or anything. I think it more comes from uh, him just maybe needing to play a little bit better to reestablish himself at the top of this draft after what has been a tough, Uh, start to his season so when you saw the Cole Anthony uh, injury news what was your thought
1: I was kind of conflicted on what was best for him as far as he has struggled I don't think North Carolina is very good this season he has not had a lot of help he is the primary emphasis point for opposing defenses and that's a putting it an all-time understatement as far as the attention he's receiving so but I am juggling the cost and and minuses of him, or I should say benefits and minuses, of him really playing again? Like what is he – how much is he really going to improve his stock? Like if he comes back, somehow North Carolina makes the tournament, can he really ascend past Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball? What are the odds of that happening? And what is the downside of him coming back and continuing to struggle in this team construct? Because we have seen some guys – in the draft medium move guys like Nico Mannion over Cole Anthony. Like how what is the floor for him? Like that's an interesting question to me.
0: Yeah, and in this draft where no one has really stepped up, like I tweeted about this yesterday and we'll talk about it afterward, but like the number one race has not been great. Um you look at Cole's numbers and I'm gonna pull them up while we're talking here. Cole is I think he has like a true shooting percentage of Something like 44%, uh, 48%, I'm sorry. Uh, He has an assist to turnover rate, 24.2 to 20.2. He is drawing fouls. Like, I think he is getting separation. He's shooting 36% from three. Like, he's doing all of that stuff, but... The big number that's like a scare number is 37.8, which is what he's shooting from two-point range. And it has absolutely nothing to do with him that he is shooting this poorly from two-point range. Uh, Whenever I looked upon uh, right prior to his injury, and I don't know how the most recent North Carolina loss to Wofford has changed this number, but... North Carolina this season uh, is shooting 28.7 from three. If you remove Cole Anthony's 36% from three number, they are shooting 24.2% from three this season. Uh, He has made 22 threes this season. Uh, The rest of North Carolina has made like 32 threes this season. It is, and North Carolina likes to play two bigs, you know, whatever. That's what Roy likes to do. It's fine. Uh, Armando Baycott obviously is uh, you know a big man that takes up space in the lane. Garrison Brooks is starting to develop a little bit of a mid-range jumper, but mostly likes to take up space in the lane. There's just nowhere for him to go. Anytime he gets past the first level, he just gets triple teamed every time he drives. So I kind of think that what you're questioning in regard to whether or not it's good for him to return or not is fair.
1: Yeah, it, I do think definitely the ecosystem is not doing him any favors with the lack of surrounding shooting and how many bodies he's looking at whenever he drives. So that's 100% accurate. I do think that he is culpable, though, for some of the fishing. I mean, he's still 6 of 21 at the basket, 3 of 14 from floater range. You're looking at 9 of 35 overall. And I do think some of that is on his lack of burst at times. Like He hasn't looked as dynamic as I expected as, as far as like straight line speed. Um, even one-foot leaping ability, like his attacking sequences aren't great as far as that goes. Like I, I have been a little underwhelmed with his finishing ability, and, and I do agree. Like you can suppress it some based on his surrounding environment. That deserves some blame for this, but I also think he hasn't been as dynamic of an athlete as far as his finishing. The touch hasn't always been there on interior finishes. We're not dealing with a guy who's six six with a 7-foot wingspan. Right. Like, he doesn't have that extension. So I do think, you know, in the NBA, the space is going to open up, for sure. He's going to have more room to operate. But I do think we can look at maybe some lack of dexterity finishing with his left, the lack of extension, and the fact that he isn't this crazy, crazy athlete. Like He was compared to Dennis Smith coming in to the year by, by some people. I think uh, Dennis oh, looks far more athletic as finishing.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. He's definitely not Dennis as an athlete. Like, Dennis is an unreal athlete. The problem is that Dennis's body moves before his mind does, right? There's a lot of
1: problems, yes. <laughs> right.
0: So he, Cole has never been that athlete. So anyone that's saying that I think is crazy. And to an extent, I think that what you're saying is fair, because even if you look at his numbers in transition, like Cole Anthony has – uh, 0.827 points per possession in transition, which is like bottom quarter of college basketball. So there is, there are some finishing issues. There definitely are. I also am not like selling everything at all. Like I'm no. not like I'm not saying that Cole should be outside of the top four. Like you listen to North Carolina fans and they're like, I don't understand how this guy's in the top four. Well, first it's a fucking shitty draft. Right. But more than that, It's that Cole is someone that we've seen enough at lower levels succeed. And we've seen him play better with better teammates, like at Nike Basketball Academy, like at uh, McDonald's and Hoop Summit practices, where when he is happy and thinks his teammates are good, he will pass. I have questions about, and like, I don't know this but I would bet you the reason that his assist numbers are lower this year is because he probably does not trust the teammates around him.
1: I mean, I definitely think there is some you know, credibility to that argument for sure. He's never yeah, been great. Like, I, I want to
0: be, yeah. Like I want to be careful too about like saying that. Cause like that'll get misconstrued as like, Oh, Cole doesn't like his teammates. I'm sure that's not the case. It's more, this team is bad around him. It's a literal mid-major team. So what do you like, how does he work around that?
1: Right, which is like a natural inclination for a lot of prospects. When you don't have the surrounding talent, you do it yourself. We see that with a lot of guys. I don't think that's necessarily a negative. But Cole's always struggled a little bit with blending when to score and when to pass. I think we've even seen that this year. When they they were even yep. playing better in the beginning of the season, that's that's an issue that he has to work out. But I agree. I don't think that it's as dire as maybe some North Carolina fans think because they're thinking more about college basketball and like but, their but team the this team year. But the team is dire. Like- yes, that's exactly the point. But as a prospect, I think we're looking at it through the lens of what he, what is he in the NBA? I'm not like hammering the panic button. Like he's a better free throw shooter than 68%. Like he was like a high, he was like 88% through high school on like insane volume. Like he's, he's a better shooter than that. And I think that's buttressed by some of the three point numbers. Um, off the dribble shooting has been great this year. A lot of the stuff is translated. Frankly, I do have issues with the point of attack defense. Honestly, like he is very bad containing the ball. He's never been good at that. Yeah. Like, Nico actually years better, but Cole is just so strong and physical. His team defense has actually been, in my yeah. opinion, one of the most impressive feats with him this year. Like He's made rotations, he's made some nice like, weak side challenges with blocks, he's competitive. And he I think can like, compete against
0: here. bigger guys, too. Like He's strong enough to just deal with guys who are bigger than him.
1: Right, and I think that's kind of a fun part about analyzing defense and, like, the evaluation there is, like, Cole isn't a great point of attack defender, but he makes up for it with strength. Strength is really important for point guards, like, battling physicality on yep. switches, and I think he brings that to the table.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, I am I'm not selling on Cole. Like, he's going to be a top four guy for me in this draft unless he comes back and just, like, totally shits the bed. So we'll see. Like, there are, there are NBA teams that are less high on him. There are NBA teams that are higher on him. Uh it's, it's just going to depend on how he comes back and plays because we're going to get to see him if he does return against like legit competition. Because if you look at North Carolina's schedule, the assumption is he'll be back like around January 22nd, let's call it, you know, five or six weeks, right? Uh, let, let's even say February 1st, he'll get Boston college and then listen to this murderers row in February for North Carolina, Florida state, Duke, Wake Forest, Virginia, Notre Dame, Louisville, NC State, Syracuse, Wake, Duke. That is probably the hardest like month to month and a half schedule that any team has in the country.
1: Yeah, that's pretty brutal, and I mean that's a really interesting dilemma for him because you, you just have to weigh upside, and a lot of this goes to intel that I don't have. How teams view Cole as far as him as the person, how they view his work ethic, all of those things are going to go into this calculus. But I, I'm not, again, I'm not hitting the panic button. I, I, in this class, just based on on the court performance, it's hard to drop him that far, just straight up. Like if you care about upside in the draft, like this guy's going to shoot it. You know, he's strong. He can initiate your offense at times. Like I do think his quickness is a little bit overrated as far as especially left to right initial suddenness but in this class again there's just there's not a lot of other guys so i'm still interested in cole i hope he comes back selfishly so we get to see him against better comps, see how he improves at all and whatnot but i wouldn't blame him if he didn't come back honestly i i don't really have like a hardline stance on this
0: we talked a bit about Lamelo ball last week on the podcast just about uh his situation and his injury and where I ranked him on the big board, et cetera. Right. Um, Does the injury change anything for you in regard to how LaMelo ball is viewed?
1: I don't think so. I mean, he's one of those guys where I want to see every single game he plays just because there are so many moving parts to his game. Like what's his consistency like with his lower body mechanics? Like how physical is he consistently? So like selfishly, like losing, you know, Four weeks, six weeks of his play, I would much rather have that because he's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most high variance guys with real upside in this class. But it, it can't really change it that much. Again, if you if you really philosophically, if you care about upside in this in the draft, he's not going to move down considerably based on this injury.
0: Totally agree. I, I don't really think this affects much. I again, like I noted this on the last podcast, but like I talked to some executives, that are like, "Look, Lonzo's had problems with injuries." You know, now LaMelo is down. We're going to want to get a good look at him. And we're going to want to see, do we think that this frame is going to hold up long term, especially given how slight it is. But I don't think anyone is drawing conclusions off of it yet, either, necessarily. Um, The bigger dilemma is that let's assume that, you know, the injury was reported, you know, sometime between, I think it was like December 10th is when the NBL announced it, right? That takes him to the game on February 14th because Illawarra is not going to make the playoffs. That team is a disaster. Um, Yeah. So there will only be six games for LaMelo Ball to play in the NBL after that. Is it worth coming back for him? I don't really know that (laughs) that that answer is yes, but I think the case to be made that it could be is that no NBA GMs, have really seen him or even like a ton of high level executives from what i understand for the most part it's been like number three number four you know on down to like international scouts have been out to see him so yeah basically if he does decide to return there's going to be a real decision for nba executives to make because february 14th is basically like right after the trade deadline right And you're starting to get into buyout season. You're starting to figure out, like, what do you want to do with your team? They're going to have to decide to go over and waste time. Like, in like look, because it's a 16-hour flight, a lot of this time is wasted. And, like, a lot of the time, I've made this trip to Australia. My wife is from Melbourne. Uh, You don't really have internet access flying over the Pacific. So you're basically killing two days of productivity, at least, to go see LaMelo Ball. So there's going to be – and that's just not a great return on investment to, like, go over and see one player, right? Maybe you get a second if R.J. Hampton comes back, who, by the way, also injured. Um, I just don't know, like, what how this works. Like, I don't know how this is all going to work itself out just because if he does decide to return, it's probably to get his, get in front of high-level executives. And if he doesn't decide to return, then – No high-level executives are going to have seen him until workouts. And that's interesting because, you know, NBA executives, high-level ones, saw Cole Anthony at McDonald's, saw him at Hoop Summit, and saw him this summer at Nike Basketball Academy. High-level execs saw Anthony Edwards at McDonald's, certainly. Um, Same with James Wiseman at McDonald's and at Hoop Summit. So, they're going to be a little bit more familiar with this with these guys than they are even with LaMelo Ball going into these personalized workouts. So I wonder what kind of incentive structure that creates for him in regard to making a draft decision.
1: It's really fascinating. I mean, of course, right now the status quo, ESPN has a number one. Like, you can only go down from there pretty clearly. Um, and I think in this class... and
0: by, by the way, like, that's great that John and Mike have him there. Yeah. That's not a consensus opinion league-wide. Uh, oh, right. Like, there there are people that have him number one that I've talked to in the NBA. But, like, that, it's far from over 50% of the league thinks he's number one. There are legit four contenders for this pick, and he is one of them.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's probably Not to fair. say it's an
0: unreasonable pick. For them, by the way, to have him at number
1: one. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's not a normal class. Or I shouldn't say normal class. It's probably more normal than not. It's not 2018 where there there's so much, like, certainty at the top with, like, high-level outcomes where teams feel super comfortable with these guys. Like, this is much more fluid. Like, yes, Anthony Edwards could easily go number one. Maybe James Wiseman, if the right team, like, Cleveland, gets the number one pick. I don't think that probably happens in a vacuum. I don't think every team has taken Wiseman number one. I, I don't know how LaMelo falls past, like, three. Like, frankly, like I still think teams are going to take him over Cole Anthony for the most part. So, like, in, in some classes, he might slide because there is uncertainty with LaMelo. That's kind of the issue with him is there, there's a lot of variance, a lot of moving parts. But in this class, like, what is – like, the downside for him – I just don't think really exists. Like, if he's hellbent on going one, maybe he tries to play in front of executives to give them more, you know, confidence in that projection. But I I don't think there's a lot of downside in him not playing. I I just don't see him falling very far in this class.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see a world where he falls out of the top, let's say, seven or eight, barring some sort of, like, ridiculous injury situation. Right.
1: I would be stunned if he fell to even, like, five, six, or seven, frankly, unless there is an injury, And unless what you said. Right, but, like, we're also
0: dealing with, Lava. like, a bunch of, like, old white executives who might not want to deal with, like, all of the baggage that comes <laughs> with LaMelo. Um, and, like, that's not me calling it baggage necessarily. I think, you know, I, if I thought LaMelo was good enough to take him at two, I would take him at two. I would not really care about LaVar. And, you know, everything that comes with LaMelo, because there are things that come with LaMelo, I just think that stodgy-ass NBA executives, some of them at least, will pass on LaMelo.
1: It's possible. I mean, again, it's just really hard to make that argument with any kind of objectivity. But maybe that's not an objective argument that, that it's actually going to play out. So you might be right. I, I just think in this class, again, it's it's just very hard for me to make any kind of compelling case that you could drop to, like, six or seven.
0: Yeah. Like, I'm even there on that. Like, I could not get him past four, realistically. Like, I think there's a case that guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Denny of like these guys are fine, but I can't realistically get them below LaMelo anymore. Like even Tyrese Maxi, like Tyrese Maxi is shooting 38% from the field and 28% from three right now. Like I can't get, I can't make a realistic case for Tyrese Maxi at four, you know?
1: Right, and all those guys could be better pros than LaMelo. That's that's pretty easy to see. But, again, right. when you care about upside, then they just don't have it to the same level as LaMelo has.
0: Totally agree. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's let's move forward here. RJ Hampton is hurt. Do you have the injury in front of you? I don't have the injury in front of me right now.
1: I do not. I didn't pull that up. I should have, though.
0: <laughs> uh, he is out for a month. I know that. And, of course, my uh, – trusty keyboard decided to stop working let's talk about miles powell real quick before we talk about rj hampson we'll bounce back here miles powell is going to miss a few games here with a concussion seton hall has struggled a little bit recently uh if you look at uh just kind of their record over the course of the last like basically starting in december and they have maryland coming up tomorrow uh they've lost to iowa state and lost to Rutgers Rutgers not as Losing by 20 to Rutgers is bad, but Rutgers is not that bad this year. I just want to throw that out there because people probably get some sort of uh, feeling about that. Um, Miles Powell has been a ridiculous volume scorer this year. His start was just like unbelievable, but it has been a little bit less efficient as the season has gone on. Uh, For instance, he goes 5 of 15 against Southern Miss. Uh, He goes, what was it? It was like seven of 20 against Iowa State. Even the game against Rutgers before uh, the injury, he uh, was three of nine in that game. There was some discussion early on on this podcast for sure that we thought Miles Powell could be like a a sleepy, sneaky, you know, maybe late first round pick. I don't think I'm quite there anymore now that like his efficiency has kind of set settled a little bit.
1: That's probably fair. It's a lot about perception. He's an older player, so it's about how executives view, like his fit is upside or whatnot in that space. And it depends on who declares, frankly, because I do think guys like Powell get deprioritized a little bit in certain cases, kind of a combo guard who can shoot it. You, you can get those players, you know, even undrafted times, like Brent Forbes I brought, up, I brought up last time on the podcast, not the same player exactly, but I mean, I don't know how he's going to be looked at. I'm very fascinated to see how the NBA views him. Like, Obi Toppin, the NBA's going to like Obi Toppin. The NBA's probably going to like Jordan Nora. I don't know about Miles Powell. I've always thought that, you know, he was more of a second round guy just because at a certain point you look for NBA skills and he can shoot in dynamic fashion. He can shoot off movement. He can shoot deep range shots. He can shoot pull-ups. He can score. I I don't really know about his scoring as far as getting to the rim at the NBA level. I think it's more of the shooting projection. The NBA usually values that appropriately. I I just don't know exactly what stage of the draft he's going to be looked at. He's going to be looked at as a get.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, RJ Hampton uh, is out with a hip injury is what it is. Uh, he will miss four weeks about the same time um, is LaMelo. I am just, you know, it's a bummer that we're not going to get to see RJ again. I think we have seen enough of him this year to have like a reasonable take. He's played in a much more structured system than what LaMelo has played in. The breakers, unfortunately, have had some issues uh, in regard to discipline we'll call it, uh, and have kind of dealt with injury throughout the course of the year. So despite the fact that he's played in a very uh, rigid system, there have just been guys kind of going in and out of the lineup too, which makes it kind of difficult to really judge. Uh, I mean, where are we at with RJ Hampton? Like it's a four to six week injury. I'm assuming that there's a chance we also don't see him again this year.
1: Yeah, and I think I'm okay with that. I think we've seen, like you said, the sample is good enough. We've seen some progression in this game, how he's improved, I think, over the season in certain respects, in certain areas. So I, I feel pretty confident that we have enough tape t- to go on. Like, Of course, you want to see as much as possible, but this is not one where I look at and say – Like, I really want to see him against this higher-level comp. I mean, he's already played against most of the teams, of course, but just I I don't really know what else I really need to see from him unless they're just going to give him the ball and, like, spread, pick, and roll, and that's probably not going to happen, right? So so a certain amount of it is situational. So are we going to get to see him, like, make all the decisions? I don't think that's coming regardless.
0: Right, so he played 12 games, started all 12 games. He shot 43-32-65, 9.5 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists, and 1.5 turnovers. It, it was just a very, it was, he played within a role. Uh, that role was actually pretty substantial, I thought. And I thought it was impressive that he was able to execute within a role as a secondary ball handler who could deal with side pick and rolls, who could space the floor, who could. Actually do what he needed to do on the floor to be effective. Uh, he was not a disaster defensively, I would say, too. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, and I think he honestly improved. like Yeah, over the I court. agree like, with that. First couple games, I thought, in, in the preseason play or whatever, he was running into screens a ton. Like, he wasn't navigating well off the ball. Like, his angles were poor. I thought he made strides on that end.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, like, this just feels like a mid-to-late lottery pick. Like, he'll just end up somewhere in that range.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there's a certain amount of comfort with that pick just because you've seen a big enough sample. You, you kind of know what he is. I, I don't know if the upside necessarily is there as far as high-level ceiling. The shooting variance Agreed. is going to be really important for him. But, again, it's not like his team. The breakers aren't just going to give him LaMelo's usage that LaMelo has and just let him run pick and roll. So I don't know what more you're going to see and glean from his performance outside of maybe just a bigger shooting sample.
0: Yeah, agree. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, him come back over to America and just kind of go, uh, through workouts and hopefully be healthy for those. I can't imagine he's going to play at the combine. I can't imagine that we're going to see him in anything more than individualized settings, but it'll be interesting to see how it all goes. Um, next up let's go into just like a sleeper portion of this. not even maybe sleepers. Some of these guys are well-known, but guys that I think are off the radar. And one guy I wanted to bring up as someone that I don't think is a one and done, but has very real NBA potential. I think is Spencer Jones at Stanford. He's averaging 10.3 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, six foot seven wing who can knock down shots from three at a high, high level. Um, also, a very good defender for a freshman, like very, very good defensively. Shooting 48% from three on six attempts right now, you're that, and you're six foot seven, and you can defend. You are a very real NBA prospect, I think, long-term.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He really popped for me a couple times watching him in certain respects. I mean, the jump shot, he can shoot a little bit off movement, too, but it's mostly the catch and shoots at a high level. Um, the size, like, I think... What you said, I, I got to get a better read on his defense. You're really high on it. I'll probably end up liking it as well. As far as his decisions, his team defense, um, his mobility, the the lack of vertical pop in his game is, yeah. is one. is kind of what turned me off initially to him. Like I liked him, but I wasn't like, oh my god, this guy's a real guy. I mean, his you can see that in the half court. His finishing numbers. He's only four of eleven around the rim in the half court just a pretty dynamic lack or a lack of dynamic pop in his game. That's what I'd be most concerned about right now. But if I do end up buying like his switchability and like his team defense, he seems like a smart player. So I'll, I'll yeah. probably end up thinking more. I have never really considered him like you noted, like a one-and-done guy.
0: Yeah, he's definitely not that. I think he's a multi-year player. I feel the same way about Tyrell Terry too. Like Tyrell's actually been a little bit better this year. He's averaging 15 points, five rebounds, and three assists a game. Uh, really? Tyrell's just super smart. He's 160 pounds though, and he's going to have to develop the body over the course of a couple of years, but he is someone that I think is going to play in the NBA at some point. Stanford in general is really fun. Like Bryce Wills is a guy that has some legit guard skills. He's six foot six with a seven foot wingspan. This year he's averaging six and a half points, 4.7 rebounds, two and a half assists, Um Still can't shoot it, which is ultimately going to be the swing skill. Like, if he can shoot it, I kind of think he's a real prospect. Uh, Dejon Davis has taken a step back this year, a guy that uh, I really am intrigued by as, like, a fourth-year guy next year, uh, as someone who can shoot the ball a little bit and is unafraid of anything. And then the final guy here is Oscar Da Silva, who is yep. just a really smart defender and A really really good team player he's averaging uh 17 and a half points per game this year five and a half rebounds and it's all just small it's all just small stuff with him i know that the points number is big but you watch just the little things within his game the way that he shows out on defense the way that he's able to recover onto bigs using quickness Uh, he's not the biggest guy but he is someone that i think has a real shot to play in the nba
1: Yeah, I have all those guys on my watch list. Like, I've been pretty impressed with Terry. I really like watching him, his IQ, um, just how he plays within himself at times. Like, he doesn't have the most dynamic burst. I wish he was more of, like, a downhill... You know, athlete of course, and the strength really, really limits him. But he can shoot the shit out of the ball. Like one of the best shot mechanics of the guards in the class. Like yep. I, th- I think there's versatility there to his jump shot, and that's going to be his calling card. I think if he's really going to be a legit prospect, it's going to be he has to be an elite shooter. And I do think that upside exists for him.
0: Uh, Stanford is a top 25 team. I'm just going to say that they're one of the 25 best teams in the country. Uh, this they're is a dope. good group. This is a good group. Uh, Another team out West, I want to talk about Peyton Pritchard. Uh, I had Peyton Pritchard too low on my board. I had him, like, I think high 90s or, like, low 90s, I guess. So, like, 91, 92 or something. He is a legit potential NBA backup point guard. Uh, 19.2 points, 5.9 assists, 4.1 rebounds. And the way that he just demolished Xavier Simpson, who is one of the better on-ball defenders in the country, uh, late in that game against Oregon, it was unbelievable or late in that game against Michigan, it was unbelievable. He was he was a monster in that game, and he's been a monster all season. And he is a guy that I think is, like, certainly a top 70 guy at least. Like, I was probably 25 spots
1: too low on him. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what Peyton is at the pro level, but I think he'll get a chance.
0: Yeah, I think that's 100% right. Uh, he's certainly going to be a guy that gets an opportunity. Um, the question is, like, do you think he's draftable?
1: So I don't think – he is draftable right now. I would look at him more as like an exhibit ten guy in summer league. I would get him there, um, as like maybe a backup point guard, a guy who can make teammates better. I don't I think this guard class is too deep. There's gonna be better options into the second round. And I still am not high enough on, on Pritchard to really strike, even in, you know, the lower part of the second round. I just think there's probably gonna be guys that I like more. Even if like a Grant Riller is available in that area. I, I would just much rather have someone like that.
0: So, I agree. Uh, I, again, will have him like 60 to 70 probably right now, something in that range. Um, Having said that, if a team drafted him, I would not hate it. There will just be guys that I am higher on right now, I think is the fair way to put it.
1: Yeah, that's probably fair. I, I'm probably, I may be a little bit lower on Pritchard overall as a prospect, but again, in this class, you can make an argument for a lot of guys in that range. There's just a, a good chance, yeah. like you noted, that I'm gonna like guys more that are available where he could be selected.
0: You wanted to bring up Robert Woodard. Uh, I will give you the floor because you. Uh, so how I tend to do things is I don't really look at other people's boards unless, call like. Bring something up, right? So, and Cole brought up to me earlier that ESPN moved Robert Woodard into their first round. Uh, I, I will give you the floor on Robert Woodard as to why uh, you wanted to discuss.
1: Yeah, I just think he was someone that a lot of people weren't talking about to start the year and just a really, you know, he's a plus athlete, six, seven, you know, 230 pounds, has that athletic build, um, a pretty good run and jump athlete. Like he was, he had a lot of dunks. I think it was Charleston Classic. I want to, I want to say he was playing in. Like he, he kind of popped on there to a lot of people. Um, the shooting is going to be the big swing skill for him, and that's very much right. up in the air. I mean, he's you know 50% from three, but it's very low volume, only 22 attempts, 70% from the line. His mechanics aren't super fluid, but they're workable. I viewed him more as like a project. I haven't been. The, yeah, you know, really high on some of his intellect on the floor. Like, he's not bad instinctually, uh, and he's got, like, a really high – like, certain – the athleticism really pops. That's the thing with him And some of it's functional, like, challenging shots, getting in the passing things at times. Um, but I viewed him more as a project, and I was kind of surprised. Like, I do look at other guys' boards, like, during the season just because I'm not really influenced by that. <laughs> so Like, it doesn't really hurt me. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious on where guys have and who's moving up, why they're moving up. I was just kind of curious – that would have moved all the way up to 23 on ESPN's recent, like big board that they have on their site. I think that was a little bit high relative to my expectations. But again, I think that just, some of that speaks to the class.
0: Yeah. Ever since reading uh, Daryl Morey's section in the undoing project, uh, which is the Michael Lewis book, I am always so concerned about unconscious biases, basically. Like I, I'm, I think I'm really good about like separating, like you and I talk a lot, and I like to think that uh, you would agree with me that your opinions
1: don't really seep into my opinions, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that's proven over time. Like, we yeah. have dif- like <laughs> we agree on some things, but, like, we disagree on a decent amount of things that, I mean, we, right. we can make arguments, but we don't necessarily sway each, each other's opinions.
0: But I, I'm always just very cognizant of unconscious biasing and not wanting to be swayed on things in some way like having discussions is different but like just seeing something on a board and then like kind of oh like do i need to do this like do i need to ask around about this like i want to kind of have it on my own a little bit um first round for me on woodard is aggressive (laughs) um i'm not gonna say it's like wrong because I think that there is room for so many opinions in this draft cycle. Like, it is it is wide open, as Cole said this year. But with Woodard, we're talking about a guy that is someone that is taking two threes a game and shooting 50%. Like, he has taken 22 threes this year. And last year shot 27% from three. He also has a very negative assist to turnover ratio. Like it's like 0.66 right now. Um, and he also, uh, if I remember correctly, was like right around a one assist turnover ratio in a very, very limited role last year. Uh, defensively, like you said, a guy that has a lot of tools, but I don't really think of him as like some incredible defender yet. I, I don't think of him as a difference maker on that end yet. Um, and the the reason that I'm not going to say it's like a bad ranking is because he is like 6 foot 7, 6 foot 8 with a great frame and like a 7 foot 1 wingspan and I think there's a world where he can get there. Uh it's just far too aggressive for me right now. Like I I think like 50s is reasonable. I think I had him at like 71 something like that.
1: Sure. Yeah, for me I was just surprised. I was it was one of those Rankings that I was just kind of taken aback by, I just didn't expect him to get this kind of notoriety, I mean, of course, the physical tools should have maybe shed light on that happening. He just was kind of under discussed I wanted to bring him up just as a guy that hasn't been talked about a lot, and I think you know putting him in you know late first round just kind of surprised me a little bit,
0: yeah, like I think he's draftable, like if the team wanted to take him as a project and draft him, sure, uh reasonable, but like I think that. There are going to be projects I would be more intrigued by. Like, I would be more intrigued by taking Zeke Naji, who is a guy that, like, we've talked a lot about on the podcast so far. And is someone that, like, I think the industry is higher on than I am. I would be a lot more interested in Zeke than I would be Robert Woodard right now.
1: Yeah, and they have this guy ahead of him, um, Patrick Williams at 21. I would rather have Patrick Williams pretty easily. Yeah. So, like, that's another guy that's just in that general range. Like, there's, it's another one of those cases where there's almost uh, certainly – So, here's here's but,
0: one that you don't like. Um, I would much rather have Trenton Watford.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm high on either guy. So, I can't make, like, a, a steadfast case for – He's you, bigger, you know, and
0: I think he's a better shooter. Like, I'll, I'll just be honest. I've seen him shoot, and I think he can shoot. And I – understand that, like, the field questions are kind of similar. I just kind of buy into Trendon more because he's just bigger.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get the arguments. I'm, I'm just lower on Trendon, like we've talked about in the past. I, I would rather have Aaron Henry. I would rather have Aaron Naismith. I would rather have Paul Reed. Like, you could name off some guys yeah. that I would rather have right now than Robert Woodard. I, and, again, I'm not trying to criticize ESPN. Like, again, in this range, it's pretty suspect as far as overall evaluations, but I just think other guys are better bets – um, where yeah, they have
0: Woodard? Yeah. Had. yeah, and like again, like I'm not like we don't want to bash them. Like I actually really like both of those guys. It's more like uh, same. Yeah, like we have a very strong. Like, I I can't get there on Woodard right now, given what we've seen from him. The tools are there, and I'm intrigued long term. I'm just not there yet, uh, based off of what we've seen. Um, I've got three more guys on our list here. Caleb Wesson uh, is a guy that I did not rank on my big board, and then. I guess that he was probably the one that got the most pushback um, from people around the league saying, like, I need to rank him. I would agree. I went back and, like, watched tape. And I guess that, like, when I've watched Ohio State, I've kind of taken him for granted throughout the course of this year just because, like, he's kind of a known commodity and I've always been paying more attention to how does DJ Carton play, is Luther Muhammad taking the next step. Like, you know, me being as ingrained in Ohio State basketball as I am having gone there. I've just been kinda I guess I took Caleb for granted and he's got he's gotten in much better shape. He's shooting forty six percent from three so far this year. Um and this comes off of shooting thirty five percent from three last year on, you know, seventy five attempts per or seventy five attempts total per season or last season. Um seventy four percent from the line. Like Caleb is genuinely someone that I think has a very real shot to play in the NBA now.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I was just late to Ohio State overall this year. There weren't a lot of matchups where I wanted to watch them. They don't really have, like, a real get prospect, in my opinion, like a high-level guy that's ready to come in right now and be, right. like obviously, like a first-round pick. So I think my first time watching them was against North Carolina. So overall, like I, I didn't watch DJ Carton open the year. Like I liked what I've seen from EJ Liddell to a certain extent. So there's a lot of guys on this team that are interesting. And I think, you know, you can make an argument – that Caleb Weston leads that charge. I I do think he's a a top probably 70-ish guy. That's about Uh, where I I would have
0: him for what it's worth, too.
1: Right, and it depends on who declares. I I still don't think he's a get. Does he move well enough? I like the fact that he's lost weight. Like you said, he does look slimmer than what I saw last year. The the skill level, offensively, he can pass. He can shoot, um, put the ball on the floor a little bit. Um, I do like the skill level at his weight. I I don't know if he can really hang defensively in space or as a rib protector in dynamic fashion. But again, when you get to the second round, you're looking for who can actually play in the NBA. Assuming there isn't like this hidden gem. I don't think Caleb Weston is that hidden gem, but I I think he probably gets a legit shot in the NBA.
0: So I popped Mason Jones onto my board uh, last time. Yep. And 99th. So, you know, lower, but I think I'm the only person that has him ranked right now, uh, based off of what I've been told. Like, agents reached out to me and were like, yeah, Mason Jones, like, I'm glad that someone finally ranked him. Uh, have you seen him anywhere on
1: boards? I don't think I have. He's he's gen- he's generated a lot of discussion on Twitter, but it isn't from more mainstream sites.
0: So, yeah, like, agents were like, yeah, we I actually think he's, like, really interesting when they, like, kind of reached out for feedback on my board. And... I he went out and dropped 41 points the next game. Uh, Mason Jones is really timing. good. <laughs> Mason Jones is really this, good. Yeah, he's probably
1: think, outplayed. He's probably outplayed Isaiah Joe this year, just as a player.
0: Yeah, I, I would totally agree. He's outplayed Mason or uh, Isaiah Joe as a player. Like he's he is much more effective uh, for that team than Isaiah Joe is. And like I say that, knowing that this you know Isaiah Joe is the patron saint of this podcast. But like. <laughs> Mason Jones is averaging 20 points a game, six rebounds, and two assists while shooting 51% from the field. Like, he has been, like, you can make a case he's been the best player in the SEC so far. Like, he's been unbelievable. Um, so, people who want to know more about Mason Jones, like, why was this guy not recruited? Like, who is he? So, he was 260 pounds, uh, apparently, at one point. Like, he was a big dude and then dropped a lot of weight. Uh, He dropped like 50 pounds to where he's like 210, 215 now, I think, from what I was told. And he's just one of those body change guys. And now he's starting to shoot a little bit uh, from a standstill, specifically from three. He's shooting 93% from the free throw line. Uh, You know, a guy that isn't like some great playmaker or anything, but I don't have a wingspan measurement on him. I would venture his arms are like pretty long, don't you think?
1: They look relatively well. It looks plus. I don't know to what extent. I can't remember right. it through the top of my head here.
0: <laughs> right. Totally agree. So, like, I, I'm pretty in on Mason Jones. Like, I think he's someone that will get another bump on my board.
1: I'm the same. I mean, he's got the, he's got a bigger frame. I, I think Miles Powell is similar, right? Like he didn't he lose a lot of weight too coming down yep. and got to that level. So he, he kind of he's not the same player, but reminiscent of that. A little bit of a shot maker. He's 12 of 25 on pull ups this year. Mason Jones is You see the deep range from him. Like he, him and Isaiah Joe just really stress defenses with their shooting. Mason adds more slashing. Like he can get to the rim easier with his strength. Um, he's got a little bit of craft at the rim. Not a great vertical leaper by any means. He's mostly a below the rim guy. Has to use like up on. And unders and extensions to finish I think you're mostly looking at him from a projection Standpoint as a shooter who brings like, Toughness and size to the backcourt I don't know what I think of him as far as like, Upside as a prospect yet I will watch a little bit more, I've seen probably two or three Games full of him really fixating on him But he's someone who should be on the radar I think that's kind of where I'm at and That's how I try to watch prospects this time of year Is like I have like 300 guys on my watch list Just going through everybody, making sure I don't miss anybody And then kind of working and narrowing it down from there
0: yeah, he's getting to the foul line a crazy amount. Like, if you look at the raw numbers, he's averaging 19.6 points on 11 shots a game.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, like yeah, the foul line stuff. And he was like 12 of 13, I think, in his last game against Tulsa. I want to say from the foul line, he got there a ton.
0: Yeah, like 68 true shooting percentage, um, 14.3 assist rate, 3.6 three rate. Like he is, he's showing all the statistical indicators. He's a very, very good, uh, very good prospect that I'm very intrigued by. Now, long term, and then the last guy we want to talk about was Joel Ayi, um, Gonzaga, six foot five, was a prospect coming into Gonzaga uh, due to some performances. He's from France. Um, on what the U nineteen would it have been in the U nineteen Euro or the U nineteen Worlds? I can't remember which one it was.
1: I can't either, but I did watch him there.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it was. But the thing is, it was like two years ago, so he was kind of a post type sleeper. Um, He's been awesome over the course of the last seven games to where I think he's like a very legitimate nBA prospect now. I chose not to rank him because he was someone that had only played like five games of high level basketball once I'd put together my board, so I wasn't sure if you know how do how do I assess this right? They play they play North Carolina tonight. they played. Uh, a few other really good teams recently, including Washington, where he was pretty good. Uh, who else did they play? They played somewhere else where he was. What what uh, NTT played, did they play in?
1: They played Arizona. They played Michigan. They played Oregon. Yeah, he's, he's played a good amount of teams.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Michigan game, I think, threw me a little bit because I really watched that game close, and he was just fine in yes. that game. Um but against Arizona, he dropped 15 points, seven assists, six rebounds with one turnover. Against Washington, 12 points, four assists, one turnover. Um, the Southern miss game was ridiculous. He went 21 points, 12 rebounds, six assists. Like, AIE is really good. He is someone that I think might be like a top 50 to 60 player right now.
1: I think that's definitely fair. Honestly, like his passing has impressed me more as the seasons went on. I haven't watched Arizona yet. i got to watch that game. I've only seen Nico's um, offensive possessions in that game, so I'm going to watch that closer. I did watch Washington. You know, He obviously had that big three at the end. He has pretty good range in his jump shot. and I think the passing really has been what's opened my eyes to him more, yep. as far as make, so pick and roll reads. I think he's a smarter player than me. I don't know what his reputation is. I don't know a lot of background on him, but I do like the ability to blend scoring and passing. He, he seems okay at that and then some of the reads have been pretty impressive in my opinion
0: yeah drop-off passes uh he's made a couple of cross-corner kicks that I thought have been interesting um particularly though he doesn't make mistakes all that often uh three to one assist to turnover is excellent he is moved into the starting lineup like they're now playing him next to Ryan Woolridge he is uh he is someone that I think is genuinely very good
1: I think you can make an easy argument that he's the best prospect on Gonzaga. And there's going to oh, be yeah, a lot of I
0: think. dissension.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of dissension, though. Like, some people might say Killian Tilly. Some people might say Antoine Watson. Or I don't think a lot of people are saying Philip Petrusev or Corey Kispert. But there's a lot of guys in this team. And I think Ayayi might be their best guy as far as projection standpoint.
0: Well, the funny thing is, like, you didn't even mention the guy who might be the best prospect. And he's sitting out right now, Umar Balo. Uh, he can't play this year. And he's just, like, uh, academically not capable to playing games, he's practicing with them. But like if you told me next year he's their best prospect, uh okay. and like a better prospect than all these guys, I wouldn't be shocked. This Gonzaga team is deep and loaded.
1: Yeah, a ton of guys in this team. Ayaye uh, yeah, is gonna be someone to fixate on. If you haven't seen him for any of the listeners, I would definitely check him out. North Carolina tonight of course doesn't have Cole Anthony, but that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah, he's gonna murder North Carolina. It's gonna be bad. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> it's just gonna be bad. Like um that's the last guy I've got here. Do you have anyone else?
1: I think we covered everything, and I just want to say really quick, just filling in the gaps with, like, Robert Woodard, like, sometimes I'll use, like, ESPN's board to spark a discussion, but it really is just a talking point. Again, not trying to be critical or anything like that. Everybody's going to have fluid rankings at this time of year, but just, it, it gets hard to talk about every guy. Like, we sometimes we talk about guys in a redundant fashion too much. I just want to make sure we hit on everybody, so that was just a, a natural starting point to talk about Woodard.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um We were sponsored today by ExpressVPN and BetOnline. Go there. Go to those places. Um, Please help support the podcast. Cole, tell the people where they can find your work.
1: As usual on thestepian.com, have some new scouting reports up by Cameron Pern. I think he just did. Wow. surprise the living shit out of me. Just randomly Matt Harms, which is awesome. So check that out. I've not written anything for a while, but we usually have – Pretty consistently new content. I've mentioned Mike Gribanoff. He will do a games to watch where he includes all the prospects. So that's always valuable for guys who want to get more into prospect scouting, especially as we get into conference play. And as usual, continue to listen to this podcast.
0: Someone asked me about Matt Harms recently, actually. Um, I'm still not there. I strongly believe in physical strength being important for centers, but, uh, you know, seven foot three can block shots and maybe can shoot it at some point. So that's not bad. um, yeah, I will be writing at some point this week. I don't know when. Just keep it locked at The Athletic. That'd be great. Uh, please leave ratings and reviews. Uh, let's. Uh, we'll, we'll look for the next podcast that we've got coming on Friday uh, to maybe read some if you guys have left some fun ones. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.